Welcome to Storytime with Kurt. In each episode, I'd like you to sit back, relax, and just chill out while I read Tom Swift and His Airship by Victor Appleton. Previously on Tom Swift and His Airship, Chapter 15. Basically, the Red Cloud had been going south, and they saw a town. They said, hey, let's just go down there and hang out and send a message to Dad, is what Tom was saying. And when they got lower and were about to land in that town, they were being shot on. Like, people, there was a giant crowd, and there were multiple people shooting at them. Now, the crew on the Red Cloud had no idea to know, but they were... They were being hunted as as bank robbers, but they had no idea because they didn't rob the, rob the bank, right? So, but the crowd down uh, down in town knew, and uh, they were looking to get the reward. So they didn't end up landing, and they took off. Which brings us to chapter sixteen, over a fiery furnace. Down below, the aeronauts could see the crowd, led by the police, scurrying to and fro. Many individuals, besides the officers, appeared to be holding weapons, and from the puffs of smoke that spurted out, it was evident that more shots were being fired. But the bullets could do no harm, and the red cloud under the force of the rapidly revolving propellers was soon beyond the center of the city. "'Well, if that isn't the limit,' cried Tom." They must have taken us for a German war balloon about to drop explosives on them. Bless my liver, ejaculated Mr. Mr. Damon. I believe you're right, eh, Mr. Sharp? The veteran balloonist took a careful look over the craft before replying. Then he spoke. It couldn't be that. And he shook his head as if puzzled. They would know no foreign airship would try any trick like that. Besides, if by some remote possibility they did imagine it, there would be soldiers shooting at us instead of police. As it was, the whole population seemed anxious to bring us down. And they nearly did, added Mr. Damon. If they'd shot a few holes in the gas bag, where'd we be? Right in the air, answered the balloonist. It would take several volleys of bullets to damage our aluminum container. It is in sections, and when one or even five compartments, for that matter, are pierced, there's there's enough gas in the others to sustain us. So they could not have damaged us much, even if they did have, even if they had shot a lot of holes in us. Even without the gas container, we can keep afloat by constantly moving, for the planes will serve their purpose. Of course, they could damage us and maybe put some of our machinery out of business, and that would be a serious thing. But what puzzles me is why they fired on us at all. It couldn't be out of pure mischief, could it? Asked the young inventor. Hardly. If we were in another country, I could understand that they were firing at some object such as this airship, but the people of that city must have known what our craft was. They probably read something about it in the papers, and to deliberately fire on us with the chance of disabling us seemed worse than barbarous. Well, we won't give him another opportunity, commented Mr. Damon. No, indeed, not this city, but who knows what? Who knows but what the example may spread? We may be fired at the next town we sail over. 
Then steer clear of towns, advised Tom. Impossible. We must pass over some, but I'd like to solve this mystery. The day passed without further incident, though they did not go low enough down over any city to drop any messages. It was decided that it would not be safe. We'll take a chance at night, suggested Tom, and that evening approached a good-sized town in the dusk. Several of the weighted envelopes were dropped overboard. Doubtless persons walking along the street, who were startled by hearing something fall with a thud at their feet, were much startled to look up and see dimly a great ghostly shape moving in the air. But there was no shooting, and eventually some of the messages reached Mr. Swift in Shopton. But he could not answer them, for the airship kept on the move. The night was spent floating in the air, with the engine stopped, and the red cloud floatily... Of floating lazily this way and that as the gentle winds shifted, for it was calm. The anchorage, if such it may be called, was above a sparseless, a sparseless, it's not even a word, a sparsely settled part of the country. And if the lights of the airship were seen from below, the farmers doubtless took them for some new stars or possibly a comet. Now, then, for a fast straight run cried Tom after breakfast had been served and the big motor with its 20 cylinders started. We'll be able to make the turn today and then make for home, won't we, Mr. Sharp? Well, we could do it, Tom, was the answer, but I like this motor traveling, so I think that I'll lengthen the voyage. Instead of turning in Atlanta, what do you say we make it to Key West and then start back? That'll be something of a trip. The Red Cloud is behaving much better than I hoped she would. I'm willing to go further if uh, Mr. Damon is. Oh, bless my shoestrings. I'm game, exclaimed the eccentric man. I always did want to go to Key West anyhow. The craft was speeding along at a fast clip, and dinner that day was served about three miles in the air. Then, desiring to test the gliding abilities of the airship, it was sent down along uh, on a long slant with the propellers stationary, the shifting planes and rudders alone guiding it. As the craft fairly slid down out of the sky like a sled on a bank of fleecy snow, Tom, who was peering ahead with his hand on the steering wheel, cried out, I say, it looks as though we're going to run into a thunderstorm. How's that? inquired Mr. Sharp, poking his head from the motor compartment. He says there's a big storm ahead, repeated Mr. Damon, and I guess he's right. I see a big bank of dark clouds, and there's a roaring in the air. Mr. Sharp, who had been making some adjustments to the motor, went forward to take a look. The red cloud was swiftly gliding downward on a slant straight toward a dark mass of vapor that seemed to be rolling first one way, then another, while, as Mr. Damon had said, there was a low rumbling proceeding from it. "'That doesn't seem to be a thunderstorm,' spoke the balloonist with a puzzled air. They all regarded the dark mass of vapor intently for a few seconds." Tom had brought the airship to a more level keel, and it was now spinning along under its own momentum, like a flat piece of tin scaled by some lead. But it was headed for the clouds, if such they were, though losing speed by degrees. "'I'll have to start the motor,' exclaimed Mr. Sharp. "'We don't want to run into a storm if we can help it, though I don't remember ever seeing a thunder disturbance like that.' "'Whew, it's getting warm.' suddenly announced the youth, and he let go of the steering wheel for a moment while he took off his coat. "'That's what it is,' 
agreed Mr. Damon, who also divested himself of his garments. Bless my spark plug, but it's like a July day. No wonder there's a thunderstorm ahead. Then Mr. Sharp uttered a cry. That's no storm, fairly, he fairly shouted. It's a big forest fire. That's smoke we see. We must get out of this. Turn around, Tom, while I start the engine. We must rise above it. He fairly leaped for the motor, and Tom and Mr. Damon could hear him turning the levers and wheels ready to start. But before the explosions came, something happened. There was a sound as of some great siren whistle blowing, and then with a howl of the onrushing air, the red cloud, the propellers of which hung motionless on their shafts, was fairly sucked forward toward the fire as the current sucks a boat over a waterfall. Start the motor! Start the motor, Mr. Sharp! cried Tom. I'm trying, but something seems the matter. We're being drawn right over the fire, yelled Mr. Damon. It's getting hotter every minute. Can't you do something? You take the wheel, called the balloonist to Mr. Damon. Steer around, just as if it were an auto when we start the engine. Tom, come here, give me a hand. The motor's jammed. The young inventor sprang to obey. Mr. Damon, his face showing some of the fear he felt, grasped the steering wheel. The airship was now about a quarter of a mile high, but instead of resting motionless in the air, sustained by the gas in the container, she was being pulled forward, right toward the heart of the mass of the black vapor, which it could now be seen was streaked with bright tongues of flame. "'What's making us go ahead if the motor isn't going?' asked Tom, as he bent over the machine at which the aeronaut was laboring. "'Suction! Draft from the fire!' explained Mr. Sharp. Heated air rises and leaves a vacuum. The cold air rushes in. It's carrying us with it. We'll be right in the fire in a few minutes if we can't get started with this motor. I don't see what ails it. Can't we steer to one side as it is? No, we're right in a powerful current of air, and the steering won't do any good unless we have some motion of our own. Turn the gasoline lever on a little more and see if you can get a spark. Tom did so, but no explosion resulted. The 20 cylinders of the big engine remained mute. The airship, meanwhile, was gathering speed, sucked onward and downward as if it, as it was <laughs> by the draft from the fire. The roaring was plainer now, and the crackling of the flames could be heard plainly. The heat, too, grew more intense. Frantically, Tom and Mr. Sharp labored over the motor. With the perverseness usual to gas engines, it had refused to work at a critical moment. "'What shall I do?' cried Mr. Damon from his position in the pilot house. "'We seem to be heading right for the midst of it.' "'Slant the elevation rudder,' called Tom. "'Send the ship up. It'll be cooler the higher we go. Maybe we can float over it.' You better go... Uh, oh, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> you better go out there, advised Mr. Sharp. I'll keep at this motor. You go up as high as you can. Turn on more gas. That'll elevate us, but maybe not quick enough. The gas doesn't generate well in great heat. I'm afraid we're in for it, he added grimly. Tom sprang to relieve Mr. Damon. The heat was now intense. Nearer and nearer came the red cloud to the blazing forest, which seemed to cover several square miles. Great masses of smoke with huge pieces of charred and blazing wood carried up by the great draft circled around the ship. The red cloud was being pulled into the midst of the fire by the strong suction. 
Tom yanked over the elevation rudder, and the nose of the craft pointed upward, but it still moved downward, and a moment later, the travelers of the air felt as they were going over a fiery furnace. End of chapter 16. Thank you for joining us on Storytime with Kurt. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, simply go to anchor.fm slash storytimewithkurt or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us if you like. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at VOByKurt. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, feel free to send an email to kurt at storytimewithkurt.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.